there are so many ups and downs, mixed emotions, emotional roller coasters. Just asking like, who is this person? She's like, this is Gigi Hadid. You're gonna know who this is in a couple of years. I just wanted to be less a salesperson, more a creative force in the industry. And that's kind of where Tejusta was born. I was getting kicked out of stores just because I didn't have the right approach. It even got to the point where they wanted to pull the project just because it was taking too long. Were there any major challenges you faced when launching your brand? And if so, how did you manage to get through them? That essentially led me to getting evicted from an apartment because I didn't have the money to pay for it. You have to be kidding me. I swear. Welcome back, my creative beings, to another episode of the MV series. I am Maria von Sothen, your host and curator-in-chief. Before I start today's episode, I just want to remind you guys that the MV series is streaming every Wednesday on all our platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. We also have additional socials on TikTok and Instagram under the MV series, as well as under my personal account at Maria Von Sothen. Today, I will be chatting with the amazing founder of Tejesta, which is an incredible eyewear brand, and it has become one of the most hype and intimate and accessory labels today. Jonathan Oberti, welcome to the Envy series. Thank you, thank you. So happy, happy to, to have you here. And honestly, you know I've been a huge fan of your brand since you first started it. And truly, I am actually a big customer. So is my husband, by the way. He's probably bought like four pairs of your glasses in the past like two, three months. No, Not a joke. Amazing. And I've truly started to see your brand absolutely everywhere recently. Celebrities spotted wearing your designs include Justin Bieber, Gigi Hadid, Dwayne Wade, Nikki Reed, Russell Wilson, Kid Leroy, DeAndre Jordan, and Tate McRae, amongst others. And I think you're just getting started, which is absolutely insane to me. Thank you. Um, and I definitely want to start this interview, if I may by discussing with you, John, some of these amazing clients that we've seen wearing your brand and understand a little bit how this happened for you, right? Um, so how does it feel uh, to have reached this level of recognition today, you know, having the iconic Justin Bieber, for example, wearing your amazing designs and how did these opportunities happen for you? Was it by chance or did you have an action plan for them? Some by chance, some action plans. It's kind of, uh the things you have to do when you have a brand, you have to try as many things and see what sticks to the wall. So um, at first I have a great friend. She's my best friend since the third grade. Her name's Austin. She's got a great relationship with Gigi Hadid, who was an early adopter of the Tejesta brand um, just through, uh, you know, the relationship I had with Austin. I sent them some frames she ended up wearing them. There was this one style called the JPG that really suited her well. So as we came out with new colors, we always just fed them to her because that's what she loved. And then we realized that we needed more of this because having the celebrity placement is part of your marketing ecosystem. Right. So um, we reached out to a PR agency, BLK, out of Los Angeles. That, I know them well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They're a really amazing team out there, and um, they got us some great placements. But in addition to that, with the uh, wholesale retailers that we wholesale our stuff to around the world, uh, it just so happened by chance that a lot of these celebrity stylists visited these stores and got a hold of our frames, not through the PR agency, not through us, just organically, which is 
the coolest thing in my opinion. Um, but to see those things happen and to see those celebrities wear our stuff is, it's one of the coolest things to, to, to see. And not only a celebrity, even just a random person that I don't know walking down the street that I is just wearing to justice. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It must be almost like even more rewarding, right? Cause it comes like from them to go out there and purchase the product. Yeah. I can't even imagine the feeling and you know, something I know you put so much love into. I know you've been working hard to get this brand out there. You're a big hustler and yeah. you know, I would have been absolutely ecstatic to have seen not only this huge celebrities wearing it, as I mentioned initially, but you know, to even see regular people down the street, like rocking your product. I, I must tell you, actually, one of my best friends who lives in Kuwait, um, I got married recently and he showed up to the wedding with one of your, with Amazing. your models. Believe it or not. Amazing. I was like, whoa, this is my friend, John. I know the brand so well. And they were like viral in the wedding. Everybody was asking him, where did he get them? Even my husband, who's a huge fan, as I mentioned before as well. Amazing. And he ended up from Kuwait purchasing one, the same glass he was wearing to send it to my husband. Incredible. You know, it's the one that has like the black frames. It's round and it's like yellow yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The lens. Oh, we, I even wear it. I steal it from Amazing. him all the time. They're so, so cool. And John, you obviously, you know, I think your brand is so different. It's so special what you've created with it. So what would you say is Tejesta's biggest differential as an eyewear brand, right? What are the things you believe sets you most apart in the market today? I think the, the main thing is the quality to price ratio. You know, you have a lot of these brands that, are, you know, brand names, Prada, Gucci, Fendi, that are selling pieces for six, $700, but they're mass produced in a big factory that gets no love. There's no artistic direction in them. They're just mass produced and they cost very little to make uh, versus us where we're going above and beyond to use advanced production methods, uh, different kinds of manufacturing techniques that are unique to just the way Tejesta does things. Um, and then offering it at a, a, we call it an affordable price, but it's, you know, they're 350 bucks and, and up. Um, but um, I think that's what really sets us apart because we feel that these pieces can be sold for six, $700. But the goal with Tejesta was always to create something super high-end luxury at an affordable price for everyone to be able to aspire to, to reach for and purchase. And I agree that like with all the craftsmanship that you guys put into the sunglasses, it truly for me, it is affordable, even though of course someone maybe, you know, on a budget could look at it and be like, oh, it's high price, which I understand of course. However, I do think that you guys have positioned yourself in a really, really nice way you know, how long it takes to create these pieces and, and the love you really put into it and the materials you put into it. It's really special that you've been able to, to put a fair price. I agree with you on, on these frames. It's been incredible. And, you know, anybody, I think, starting any project, any brand, any career, it's not a people think that, you know, when you start something, it's like a, a linear process. We're just like, oh, little by little, you're getting there. But it's a roller coaster of emotions. And, and I'm, oh, yeah. we all go through so many challenges yeah. to get to where we want to be or need to be, right? So for you, were there any major challenges you faced when launching your brand? And if so, how did you manage to get through them? I mean, there are so many challenges and you're so right. There are so many ups and downs, mixed emotions, emotional roller coasters. Um, yeah. For us, it was, we wanted to kind of 
create unique pieces that spoke to a sophisticated clientele, um, sold at an affordable price. But once we launched that, we realized there were so many other facets to, you know, getting these in the hands of certain people opposed to just listing them on your site and marketing it from my personal social platforms or word of mouth. You need much more. And these days it's not as easy to start a brand as it might've been in the early 2000s where, you know, you launch a product, you run some paid media ads and you're guaranteed five to 10 times your investment on the ads. Doesn't work like that anymore. And in the past, one celebrity wears it, boom, your brand blows up. It's it's, literally, (laughs) it's not how it is anymore. So the way, um, over the last five years in November, I've realized that it's a a whole marketing ecosystem that needs to be at play. And the way that that works is you need to have your paid media, you need to have your celebrities, your influencers, your in-store placements. So when Maria walks into MVS opticians, she sees Tejesta and she asks what this is. Um, And then you also have to do email retention marketing and consumers need to be targeted six to eight times now before they decide to pull a trigger on a product because there's so many consumer brands out there that are competing for this sale. So um, all those components have to be firing off and Maria might buy her first Tejesta just from seeing it on, you know, Alessandra Ambrioso, but Sabrina might need to see it eight times before she decides to pull the trigger. So um, figuring out all those things on the fly kind of was the toughest thing for us. But at the same time, we do our best to learn and adapt and just um, do what we have to do to continue to grow the brand. It's crazy to see like how many things you actually have to consider to get yourself out there and to be able to really sell these products. Yeah. It's insane to me. I like you clearly have done your research and know what you're talking about because I did not know, you know, the margin was, you know, this difficult to reach and and to get to. It's crazy, 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 crazy. Especially as a as a if you're specifically online, it's it's super expensive to get the eyeballs onto your page because so many people are competing for that space. And what really has set us apart that we started this year was um, wholesaling and independent retailers, because what happens is, like I said earlier, MVS opticians is going to tell a customer that walks in our whole story with us not even having to be there. So you're essentially marketing for us, but in addition, you're selling frames for us too. And then those people are going to tell other people and it's a domino effect. Literally like a chain. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, And you know, it's funny to hear this because I think we live in an internet world today and you would think, oh, having an e-commerce, you know, it's enough and it's the best way because obviously you reach so many people easily, right? You don't need to necessarily get into a store to sell your products, but understanding, obviously you've been in the game for a while now, that the importance that wholesale still has today is insane to me because I honestly would not have thought that. Definitely. I mean, I think it's specific to eyewear because it's something you put on your face. That's the most vulnerable, vulnerable piece of your body. It's something that people see right when they walk in and eyewear is something you have to try on. So you need that space for someone to go and try on six to seven different styles versus someone that sees a cool frame 375. I just don't feel comfortable buying it until I try it on. 
versus glasses that are 50 bucks. That's just an impulse buy. I'll return them if I don't like them. So it's just something we had to do. And I have a lot of experience there and it's going really good. Thank God. I, I know it is. And I couldn't agree more when you say that. I think eyewear is so special and so particular because for me, it's the same thing. I think I definitely need to go in and try the glasses different from like, let's say a sweatsuit like I'm wearing now. Yeah. I'll see it online. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get it, you know, and, and it will work out. I can tailor it, let's yeah. say, if it doesn't fit me perfectly. But you cannot do that with eyewear. So I get why the approach is so important to have in wholesale and physically as well for people to try on. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. A lot of sense to me. And talking about a little bit about your identity, right? Which you've crafted so well, I must say. How would Thank you describe you. Uh, Tejasta's brand identity and what was your inspiration for it? Great question. <laughs> um, so I'm from Miami. Um, I wanted this to be not so much a representation of the stereotypical Miami, which is, you know, Vegas on the beach, nightclubs, beaches, hot girls in bikinis. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted it to kind of shed light on the more artistic side of the city. And in addition to that, I wanted to bring in my love and admiration to mother nature. So growing up, I um, grew up going to my summer house in Sweden for like three months every summer. And we had no we had electricity, but we had no TV. I wasn't doing the same things my friends were doing like playing video games, we were, um, you know, shooting guns, we were cooking outside, we were making fires, building tree houses, uh, you know, water skiing behind the boat on the lake, things like that. And um, it took me a while to realize, but I, I, I really just felt calm, felt happy, felt myself in nature. And the only place that made me feel that way was the American Southwest, which is, you know, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico. And as I continued to spend more and more time there, I realized that this essence, this culture that lives in the in the Southwest is something that I had to bring into my brand whenever that was going to happen. So um, essentially what we call Tejesta is the American Southwest meets Miami Art Deco. So we're using different components from the Southwest, um, different components from Miami Art Deco, wh whether it's architecture, whether it's um, screenplays, whether it's colors, and we're kind of just meshing those always together to kind of form our unique identity, which is what Tejesta is. A lot of inspirations there. I'm yeah. actually so happy to hear that. You know, you were so connected to nature growing up. I think less and less in the times that we live in, this is like normal. So I love the purpose behind the two and, and, and why you did it the way you yeah. did it. And still staying true to your, you know, being a Miami kid, because I know you were, you know, basically born and raised here. So, but it makes so much sense that I think you really were able to set yourself apart that way because there's so many brands today trying to target the sexy market, you know, the, the Miami lifestyle, let's call it that. But I think why so many people love, you know, your brand as well is because it sets itself apart so much from the other products we see out there. Do you have any particular favorite models? Uh, as far as like our products? Yeah. My favorite one is the one I'm wearing. It's called the Parker. Um, the reason I love it is because it gives, it has its own personality. When you put it on, 
you get this like a sense of a little bit more attitude, a little bit more of a badass kind of look. And uh, you're essentially speaking without speaking when you walk into a room. And it's, it's, it's been my favorite. It's kind of inspired on this late 70s uh, per soul that I have in my collection. And um, it's definitely my favorite. Not too far behind would be this one called the Dixon. That's, the Dixon. I love the Dixon. The Dixon's cool. I love the Dixon. And it's so true. Your glasses like almost do speak for themselves. Yeah. I love that you that you put it that way. <laughs> That's what we try to do. And John, going a little bit back, you know, to to your brand being a celeb favorite today. I'm so curious to know who was the first celebrity to ever wear your brand and how did that opportunity happen? It was Gigi, Gigi Hadid. Started and, strong. <laughs> yeah, started super strong. And when we got that placement, we were just discussing internally, like, how do we go up from here because that's kind of like the creme of the creme so true and um that came just super organically through a dear friend austin wiener shout out austin um amazing artist out of la been best friend since third grade and she um kind of did a lot of work with gg before gg kind of blew up and um when i went to her studio in new york i was just asking like who is this person she's like this is Gigi Hadid, you're gonna know who this is in a couple of years. And long story short, Tejesta's launched for three or four years after that. And um, I told Austin, hey, I wanna send you guys some frames, sent them some frames and Gigi just ate up this style called the JPG. And uh, it wasn't due to us saying, hey, wear this. It was the fact that she actually loved the piece. And that's what means a lot. So us. much, yeah. so much. And I think like we were saying before, finding some sunglasses that are like perfect for your face is not easy. And I think once you do, you're going to stick to that at least for a while, you know, especially when you come with new colorways with like varieties 100%. of that style. So it must be so rewarding to you to, to have, you know, kind of put your foot in the door with someone as big as Gigi Hadid. And how funny that you're saying you're going to know who she is. Well, imagine today. Yeah. The whole world knows who she is. So. She's huge now. She really and is. She's, and she's honestly an awesome person, um, super down to earth, um, super spiritual. And she just kind of uh, aligns with the Tejesta aesthetic ethos vibe everything so. that's what i was gonna say you're talking about her being spiritual right and, and and you explaining the whole vibe behind your brand identity it's kind of like the perfect customer for you and for the brand and talking about customer um is there anything you know when you're creating your designs or launching a new line that you have to compromise in terms of your vision to ensure you're adapting to your customers current wants and needs because they change right they vary a lot with time Definitely. I mean, you have your, you know, go to styles for the season that, you know, certain brands are putting out and you feel that you want to capitalize on those specific silhouettes that they're doing or uh, certain design cues that they're, you know, putting on their frames. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to create timeless eyewear that was forever eyewear. So we're not necessarily... Um, taking what's hot now and adapting to that. I've been collecting eyewear for the last 20 years. I have thousands of frames and all of our pieces are inspired by old frames just because 
eyewear's been around forever and all the shapes have been made. It's how you kind of put your touch and your spin on those shapes um, that make you different, that uh, that's kind of what we, what we roll with. And while we do our own thing at the same time, uh, I would say colors inspire us a lot. And sometimes there might be a specific color that just pops into my head and it's like, hey, we actually need to use that yellow for this next collection instead of this brown, just because that's kind of what's in right now. And we're releasing this in summer, so let's do the yellow instead of the brown. Kind yeah, of thing. and it makes so much sense when you say, you know, everything has been done. And this is even true for clothing, for anything in fashion. I think even um, I had a past interview that I did with an amazing director uh, that I've worked with, and he was saying the exact same thing regarding videos, imagine. So I think it's so important to understand that, you know, these industries have lived for so long and that it's not necessarily about, oh my God, I'm going to invent something brand, brand new because so many things have been done. It's about how you spin it and how original that spin is, you know, and, and how much of your personality and brand identity you really bring into this, this new product and identity. That's exactly what it is. I totally got that. Yeah. And I also must say, I noticed you guys uh, did an amazing collab with uh, Bossy. I was obsessed with the collab you did. I thought it was brilliant uh, what you guys did with them. Would you say that, uh, John, collaborations are an important strategy for brand growth? And what are the main considerations before deciding, right, to partner up with another brand? Because they have their own identity as well. Definitely. I mean, I think it's super um, beneficial for any brand to collaborate with um, other like-minded individuals or uh, like-minded brands just because... It gives you the opportunity to expose yourself to their audience. They expose themselves to our audience. And it's kind of just like a cross pollination deal where um, you get more eyeballs, you get more followers, you get more purchases. And the way that that came about was he just a dear friend of mine. And uh, we met in New York one one summer and he was working with this brand called Amiri. And he was like telling me how he was going and venturing off to start his own brand called Bossy, which is his last name. And um, the goal was always to do something. Um, and the goal is always to work with my friends and figure out a way how to find synergy between ourselves. But um, we've been approached so many times by individuals, brands that we just have to say no to because a lot of people want to get into the eyewear space and find that they have an avenue by reaching out to us. It's like, up and coming brand that doesn't have so much leverage to just say no but we have to stay firm and just be like hey we just don't see the the connection here or the synergy so um it's kind of how it goes and i'm sure sometimes it's not easy to say no because i'm sure you've had you know big people approaching you so props to you for that because i think i've seen in the past a lot of brands kind of derailing from their path because someone big comes up and they're like oh i want to partner up yeah and then you, you just kind of lose that spice that you bring as a brand and, and from your identity so really props to you for doing that because it's not easy to say no when a big opportunity comes around but you know who you are clearly and you know who your brand what your brand is and, and what you stand for and so i think it's something to be extremely proud of and really being very careful when you do connect with another brand that it truly makes sense to you and talking about bossy i actually have um gotten them a lot for my clients in the past 
have worn a lot of their products. And... Super loud pieces yeah. that are perfect for your clientele, um, especially for red carpet uh, performances, whatever it may be. But um, he's really talented. And I was always excited to work with him just because we always knew that what it was going to be was we were going to use his signature hardware on our frames. And it was a super complicated production process that um, kind of took a long time. And uh, we had a lot of hiccups and it even got to the point where they wanted to pull the project just because it was taking too long. But we were able to, to get it done and and we're super happy with the outcome. I, I thought interesting that you're you're saying now, you know, even him being your friend, you know, for, for a while, it's scary to feel like you're trying to part, you know, partner up with him because it finally makes sense to you as a brand. Yeah. And then you're really doing your best to, to get their hardware and then him being like, oh, no, sorry, it's taking too long. It's scary. It's scary to go through that process, I'm sure. And yeah. And it's, I'm so happy that you were still able to take it out and figure a way out of it. Because a lot of owning a brand is not just about, you know, you designing the products or you having inspiration for the products. It's about really being able to learn how to deal with hiccups like the one you just mentioned as well, right? Big time, big time. It's, uh, it's you just got to roll with the punches and not Literally. get your emotions <laughs> involved um, and just do what's right for you and the person that you're working with. Literally. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit here about um, the eyewear industry and the history of it all, because it's been around for, you know, so, so long. How would you say consumers view eyewear today compared to, you know, past decades, past times? Has the industry and its consumers changed? Great question. Um, yes, it's changed drastically. Um, a simple way to put it is eyewear used to be looked at as a medical device versus now being viewed as a fashion accessory. So I think that that's kind of the main point that I want to call out just because, you know, used to be a quote unquote nerd loser four eyes when you wear glasses. But now, yes. <laughs> now eyewear is just a, a part of your wardrobe. It's like shoes. You have a different pair for every occasion. So um it's always changing. It's always, um, you know, reinventing itself. But for now, it's become cool to wear a cool piece of eyewear. Recently, it's come back so highly on trend for people to wear it at night, even obviously yeah. celebrities on red carpets, on dinners. Definitely. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, you know, growing up, seeing my father in the business do this. I, it, it was a medical device then, but um, as I can started getting older and eyewear started to evolve, I realized that, hey, there's like an artistic element to this happening now versus in the past that was just for you to be able to see and protect your eyes. So I guess, you know, that's how you, you fell in love with eyewear. I just heard you saying that your dad uh, used yeah. to run, you know, a similar business in, in eyewear. So, so how did that happen for you? Were you very young? Was it always a part of your life? This, this love for eyewear and the industry? Kind of, um, growing up, my father started with one optical shop in North Miami that catered to just the optical needs of the community around him. And as, as that progressed, he just, uh, decided to start designing his own eyewear. And I was still a, a little kid, but when I was in middle school, I would get dropped off from 
school at his office for my mom to then come pick me up there. And I would spend time there in the back, just rummaging through uh, storage bins of old eyewear that he's just had accumulated over the decades. And um, there were these ones, there was this one brand, Jean-Paul Gaultier, that just caught my eye totally. And I started to kind of see the artistic elements and you know the different nuances and some of the pieces that I was looking at and that's kind of where I developed my first real understanding that hey I'm actually creative I'm actually artistic and um, as I continued to kind of nurture that and feed that love and desire I would always get put down by my friends in school and in my neighborhood just because I was viewed as like this athletic kind of jock sport kind of guy. And they would just be like, hey, you know, what are you talking about? Like, you sound stupid or, you know, that's not you kind of thing. And it wasn't until after college or during college that I was able to really hone in on that feeling and just say, I don't give a fuck and just go for it went for your dreams right because yeah. i honestly think it's even sad to, to to hear this but it's a success story in your case you yeah. know but that people always like tend to box people in uh even this happens in our industry today with like behind the scenes creatives right if you're a director you're a director but why can't the director be a producer as well why can't the director be in front of a camera for something they're producing as well like it doesn't make sense to me so i'm actually so happy that you brought this to the table right now because i yeah. think that more and more we need to understand that people have multiple talents and multiple interests and you see from you you know whatever i guess playing sports in high school right people labeled you as that but john is so much more than you know someone playing in the field at school and it's impressive to see your progression through it all and how you were really able to foster this creativity that obviously you were born, you know, with, because not only did, I guess you were literally born into the eyewear industry, which is insane to hear, you know, the yeah. whole story now, but that obviously this was also within you and inside you. Definitely. Always. I, I did all this on my own. I didn't want any help from my father, but he kind of guided me in the right way. Um, it all started when I would just spend my summers at one of his shops learning the business um, while I was just trying to make some extra side money for the summers. And uh, then I realized, hey, there's a, a really cool thing happening in eyewear where it's becoming you know, part of fashion and art. And um, that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I could channel my love for fashion and design through a piece of glasses. So That's kind of when I decided, hey, I want to start my own project. And I did in 2010 and got all the prototypes and was looking at them and just didn't know what to do next. So I just went to my dad and said, hey, I don't know what to do here. And he's like, man, you got to learn this business inside and out. You have to learn wholesale, retail, design. Um, you just have a lot more to learn. So figure out what it is you want to work in and do that, learn and go to the next thing. And I kind of, he like prepped you for it re really in a way. A lot. Yeah. I'm kind of like shocked with this whole situation because, you know, and props to him as well for kind of like being like, Hey, I know you were like grew up in this, 
but there's a lot for you to still learn, you know, before you you get Big out time. there. And was your plan always, uh, John, to go into eyewear? Did you ever have another dream? No. Um, so I was actually a nightclub promoter during college. No way. Yeah. And it was <laughs> it was very fun. Great times. Um, made a lot of money as a young kid. And uh, I um, was studying hospitality at FIU just because... Hey, if I'm doing this promoting thing, I'm already in hospitality. Might like, as well, right? Might as well. And FIU had a great school. And uh, I had a best friend, David Fuchs, um, 11th Street Pizza. Oh, I'm yeah. a huge fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to you. Shout I'm out, David. Obsessed yeah. with all his pizzas and even the restaurant he had before, which was absolutely amazing as well. No, he's he's really talented. And if you haven't been to Sushi Na's in New York, it's, I have not. It's I highly recommend it. It's a super surreal experience where you feel like you're in Japan. Wow. Yeah. Um, I have to try it out. Yeah, it's omakase. Uh, I think it's a 12-person uh, omakase bar. But um, anyways, so I'm making extra money to at my dad's store um, while I'm studying hospitality and still doing nightclubs and working in hospitality, studying hospitality. Um, I, I actually met a girl that um, I loved very much and she kind of primed me into understanding that, hey, if you want to uh, have a life with me, if you want to, um, you know, be the man I envision you to be, it's not going to be you being a nightclub promoter. And I totally resonated with her on that thought. And I was just, you know, thinking, do you want to be one of these older guys that you see at the clubs? And I was just like, hell no, I do not. I want to be successful in a day-to-day -day type of operation. And I want to be known for um, kind of my art or my fashion in whatever way that might be. So I started working at my dad's store and I, I, I get that kind of advice from him that, hey, you need to learn this business inside and out, all the different facets of it. And I started seeing these reps that would walk into the store with a given brand. And it was cool to see because this was a time where independent eyewear brands were becoming more well-known, like the Estevas, the Ditas. Huge, huge. Exactly. And um, it wasn't necessarily about a designer brand uh, because people started to realize that, hey, these are all made in the same place and there's no real like effort put behind them. Right. It's just like a mass situation, right? It's just like the Gucci, the Prada logo that helps sell them. So I meet one of these reps. His name was Terry and he worked for Dita. And I thought it was super cool that he essentially owned Dita in a given territory. So he had the Southeast US as his territory and he decided where that product went, where it lived and you know how many sold here and how many sold there it was kind of like on him and i thought that was super cool and long story short through austin who i mentioned earlier uh, shout out to austin she's yeah. been killing it <laughs> shout out austin always got my back we always got each other's back um but uh her sister was dating a friend of a part owner at ilisteva who i was connected with um begged for a job ended up giving me a three-month internship that turned into a six-year working relationship. Incredible. Yeah. You know, funny story here. I actually interviewed for Listeva myself. I remember. Yeah, do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, I was still at my at, at the Webster at my at my old job. And, you know, I was kind of also like, 
trying to figure out like what was my next step. I think similar to you. Yeah. And I went, you know, there were t some tough interviews there and I, I was really looking forward to it. Ended up not working out for me as it did for you clearly. Uh, but I really admire the brand and, and love their products to say the least. And how, how was that experience in Elisteva for you? Do you feel like you, you really learned with them a lot? Oh yeah. I mean, it was probably my biggest learning curve um working with them just because it was kind of a pivotal moment in my life where um as i mentioned i was quitting promoting which gave me a six-figure salary and allowed me to live very comfortably at a young age and leaving that all behind to go pursue this new uh adventure that was eyewear and um i really didn't know what i was doing at first because Essentially, what happened with Elisteva is they gave me a bag of samples and they told me, hey, we, uh, go do what you want to do. And my, oh, wow. <laughs> my idea was, hey, you guys need a wholesale division of your business because eyewear is this thing that you need retailers promoting your stuff where people can try on, ask questions, etc. For sure. And I would uh, go visit these stores that I didn't have the relationships with. I just found them online. And... I was getting kicked out of stores just because I didn't have the right approach or wow. I didn't do it the right way where I needed to call them before to make an appointment. Um, there were so many different things that kind of um, set me up for failure that essentially led me to getting evicted from an apartment because I didn't have the money to pay for it. You have to be kidding me. I swear. <laughs> And what that did was it just lit this fire in me and i just decided hey you need to let your ego go you need to put your pride down and you just need to go sell this stuff and stop acting like you're this privileged guy because you're just another person you need to, you need to do this and um that kind of is what propelled me to be super super successful with the brand and it turned into one of my most successful brands working with and then After that, I realized, hey, I could do this with a bunch of other brands because there are other cool brands that I admire. Right. So that's when I decided to start a showroom that catered specifically to independent eyewear because it was just something that was thriving at the time. There's different brands offering different things. And what I was doing when I started with Ilisteva is I was building my network of contacts that were in my kind of distribution network. And I saw that some of these people were looking for this and were looking for that. And I wanted to be able to supply that to them because that would mean more money for me. Absolutely. So um, I started working with brands like Dita and Tom Brown and Terry Lazary. And um, it kind of just blossomed into this bigger than life showroom that, um, I would sell to call it, let's say MBS opticians, right? Instead of selling just Ilisteva, now I'm selling five brands to you versus one. So it's a, it's a better payday for me. And I'm also learning much more by working with different companies to see what they're doing that I like, what this one's doing that I don't like, and kind of putting that in my back pocket to 
um, pull out when I'm ready to do my own thing. And were there any challenges? Um, I think I'm curious to know that when you started the showroom, right? Because the same way you were like, okay, let me call up Elisteva, let me introduce myself, really push to get there. Did you have any huge learning curves in the, the showroom as well? Or was it a smoother process for you by then? I think the biggest learning curve with in within that was the beginning where I just, you know, I, I, I came from a fortunate upbringing. Um, I went to a private school. I had a really loving family. I was always taken care of. And I just didn't understand the concept of having to grind and having to just Uh, put everything aside and sacrifice yourself to make a dollar and um, being on my own when I turned 19 I just um, started this Ilisteva gig and like I said I was kicked out of stores and I was told that I'll never buy this product and you know a few months later they were buying for me so wow how um, crazy the world really goes round right It's yeah and this was a time too I I, I There was a little bit of luck involved just because um, Ilisteva had blown up while it was in my possession um, through the Brazilian uh, people that were coming to um, the States. Shout um, out to my Brazilian peeps. Shout out to the Brazilians. <laughs> they, they made me a lot of money. And uh, like I mentioned earlier in, this, in the podcast, um, back then it was super easy for you to blow up if you had the right influencer or right... Uh, celebrity and this girl Tasia Naves. Oh yes, like, she's a huge blogger. Yes, and she was like the first one from Brazil. Mm -hmm. And she would throw something up, and it would just go viral. And you know, Brazilians were coming to Miami, and they had this like whole thing where they come to Miami, then they go to Orlando, and they buy a bunch of things while they're on these trips, and then bring it back home because import taxes are so high in Brazil. So. You know, it's you, expensive there to buy anything. That's why I think they prefer exactly to come here and shop here so that, you know, it will come. Imagine even buying the ticket to come here, shopping here and coming back. Sometimes it's more worth it than buying the product in Brazil. Exactly. So they were coming and just buying 10 pairs of Elistevas versus a normal person that buys one or two. Um, so, yeah, shout out to the Brazilians. <laughs> I appreciate that. Shout out to the Brazilians, guys. Yeah. And John, you know, I always wondered when did the idea to build Digesta Right really come about and why did you decide to build your own brand when you clearly already had a pretty successful business with the showroom right in your hands? With the guidance of my dad and um, the determination within myself, I just decided, hey, you're going to learn as much as you can for the next five to 10 years. And then you're going to take that and you're going to build your own brand. And when you're ready, you'll know you're ready. And that kind of happened for me five, six years ago. And I just had been working with so many different brands. And um, I just found this uh, pattern of where you distribute a brand and you get them to like the top of the mountain. And, you know, you've gotten them into all the stores you can get into. And they just tap you on the back and say, hey, like, great job. We're going to take the sales in-house now. And that kind of leaves me out of a job. And then I have to find another brand to start the whole thing with the whole process over again. And I was just tired. I had done that a couple times, but I was tired of going to my clients and just being like, hey, got a new brand. Like, you want to buy it? Like, And they're like, another one? Exactly. So I just wanted to be 
less a salesperson, more a creative force in the industry. And that's kind of where Tejusta was born. That makes complete sense. I think it's a natural evolution that you went through, right? And seriously, I'm very impressed with O'Brady Sr. here, you know, yeah. for, for kind of like grounding you and, and really, you know, you even saying before, like, yeah, you know, I've all, I was always taken care of, you know, I, I had a great upbringing, but I really admire your father for having really grounded you at that point and said, yo, this is the real world, John, you know, and this is how this goes. And you cannot just think that you're going to go out there and start a brand in a year. Not that it's not possible. You know, there's people that have earlier experiences in life or whatnot, but I couldn't agree more when he told you to really, you know, get your foot through the door first, learn from other people. And I think clearly from what you said, it was crucial for you to have had these experiences before, because imagine with your brand now, if you were just like, doing the reach outs as you did with Elisteva yeah. at the beginning, it would have been maybe a little bit more difficult for you to Big be time. respected as a brand, for people to be like, this guy knows what the hell he's doing in the industry, you know, which clearly you do today. And that's why you're pretty much everywhere in my eyes and, and you're killing it at what you're doing. Thank you. Recently, you have a partner, right? Or is it just you? I do. Shout out Chris, aka Pooch. Pooch! Um, <laughs> Pooch is my uh, creative counterpart that when I... That girl that told me to um, quit promoting. I'll remember her forever. <laughs> yeah, we actually broke up and um, it put me in kind of a, a bad space because we were living together and it was a super oh. hard kind of transition. I'm sure. And um, I ended up moving to Pooch's couch just because I needed uh, a place to be. You've been and, through it. Huh? Yeah, and I just didn't... Um, I didn't want to move back to my parents. I didn't want to um, live on the street, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm so, glad you did not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Pooch gave me uh, a couch to to sleep on, and I lived there for about two months. And within that time, we were just working on a bunch of creative projects for my showroom. And you know, we were just doing a lot of photo shoots for the products and the new releases that were coming out. While I was there was when I started to realize, hey, there's this pattern happening where you're bringing these brands to the top and then they're saying thanks and moving on from you and you lose out on all that stuff you built and you can't reap the benefits. So it's time, this is the time now to do your own brand that you've been thinking about since 2010. This is 2017 now. And um, I tell him, hey, I want to start a brand. He's like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to start an eyewear brand. And the reason I told him that was because his mother had a super successful Miami brand called Peace Love World at the time. Yes, I know it. And I just knew that he had a clear understanding of what it takes to be a brand, what it takes to get off the ground and be successful. And, um, you know, he compliments me in a lot of ways that I'm not great. Um, so we decided to build to Justa and that's, we're still partners today. Yeah. How incredible. And I think it's important to have a support system when building something like this too. A lot of people, I'm sure, you know, they create the idea on their own, but the team work is like the most important thing, even for me in styling now in the show, I think your team is everything and there's days that it's not, they're not going to be your best days. So when you have someone to lean on, when you have someone to kind of like discuss ideas with, it really, really, at least for me, helped me take me to the next level. And I'm sure it was, from what I hear, it was the same case for you with, with Pooch. 100%. I mean, there are days that I would go to the office not knowing what I'm going to the office for and 
get there and you know he puts me in the right mood and keeps me balanced keeps me aligned and we're just we're good for each other i love that guy that's incredible yeah i'm so happy uh for you that you found that that partner uh, i would love for you to elaborate a little bit here for us to give us a little inside scoop of how does launching a new collection right look like what are the steps you have to take from let's say design until you release the final product i just have a plethora of pieces that I want to recreate for Tejesta in the future that I've just admired throughout my whole life. Whether it's seeing a specific actor wearing a frame in a movie and me wanting to do my own uh, take on it or seeing, you know, old photos of my dad and uh, or my grandfather uh, wear specific frames that are just timeless and they're kind of in style right now. Um, but The way that eyewear works is it's a super time-consuming, tedious process where um, frames take six to eight months to get made. It's not like, you know, uh, a month or two, yeah. which is what most... Which most people would probably think, right? Exactly. No, this takes a long, long time. And um, it's a whole assembly line of people that are working on specific parts, specific uh, facets of the frames. And then you have also the materials. We're making the materials custom just for us so that, you know, we're not just using what everyone else is using. Right. It's clear to me that the mass production part is, is not where you're looking to do. Everything is really custom to you guys, right? A hundred percent. I mean, the lenses, the acetate, the um, hardware, everything is custom. And around three to four hundred people touch a frame before it's done. Wow. So... Um, there's that many hands that go into the process and um, you have to really put a lot of trust into your manufacturing partners to um, not cut corners and, you know, strive to be as great as you want your product to, to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And once you, you have that release, I'm sure there's a whole marketing process behind it as well, right? That you have to engage in. There's other people in your team or that yep. you... I guess source outside that need to touch to make sure that everybody's seeing the new stuff and, and it's yeah. really out there. We get it and we QC it just to make sure there are no manufacturing defects or no uh, kind of call outs that we're not happy with, which doesn't happen rarely, but it's happened. And then we have to go to the drawing board and figure out how we're going to sell these. So, um, it's part of that marketing ecosystem that I mentioned earlier. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's pretty, hard to keep coming up with new designs new models constantly right is that a challenge for you guys too right now it's not but i've forward thought into the future and you know maybe as we continue to grow we might just need uh to come out with more every season than we are now we're still a small brand and um you know we're still uh an independent company but at the same time Uh, now we're expanding into optical, which is a whole nother realm of the business. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Just because, um, you know, we live in Miami and it's all about sunglasses, but in Canada where we sell our frames to, they're predominantly optical sales because the sun doesn't shine as much there. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, LA, uh, and Florida, um, are just heavy sun places as far as the u.s goes but in the rest of the country it's more optical sales it's almost 70 30 
That's crazy. So you really need to think like what country and market you're selling to, which is crazy. I never really thought about it. And then you have to go even deeper into thought of thinking about different ethnicities and face shapes because we just signed a South Korean distribution deal and their faces are different than American faces. And of course, European faces are different than Asian faces. So, um, you know, you have to make sure you're providing the right fit for all these kind of different people. And the right options for every market you're tapping into. Exactly. It's pretty complex, more than I imagined. You know, I've worked with sunglass brands for so long as a stylist, but I truthfully had not thought about it this way. And it's so true. You got to market it the right way, have the right frames, you know, for different faces, different people and different needs. So big time. There's two fits. There's Asian fit and there's European fit. We're used to European fit because that's just kind of what our face structure is. But for Asian fits, it's a lot more use of nose pads. So like on the frames here, you have these nose pads of acetate, but to make it even more Asian fit, it's those metal nose pads that you right. see that I go on these saying. kind of yeah. frames. Yeah. So it's it's um it's definitely complicated, but we have a good grip on it. Thank wow. God. Wow, a real inside scoop here for our creatives. And John, would you consider ever expanding your brand, you know, and producing other accessories or even clothing under, you know, your umbrella? Definitely. I mean, that wasn't the goal at the beginning, but as the brand evolved and grew and kind of like it created this thing on its own i realized that this is more than just an eyewear brand this is kind of a lifestyle so um we want to expand into um eyewear accessories leather goods and eventually jewelry and then that could hopefully morph into clothing that could morph into home goods we don't really know what that is but for right now we're going to stick with the eyewear and that's always going to be kind of what we're known for but We want to also provide different things and uh, give our audience, you know, certain other kind of objects to kind of fall in love with other than just the eyewear. And I think you definitely like understand your customer, you know, and I think that if you were able to quickly, as you did, make everybody fall in love with the eyewears you're designing and bringing to the table, I have no doubt that you will keep doing so with anything else you tap into. You're always wearing great jewelry. Thank you. So I'm sure that, you know, everybody will want to rock that style at some point as well. Definitely. And I'm sure that you would do amazing, at, you know, slowly but surely trying different products that make sense to you and the brand and to Pooch, which we now love. Yeah. <laughs> which we now love. Shout and out Pooch. Shout out Pooch. And John, you know, here at the MV series, we love giving our creatives back home an opportunity to possibly, you know, join our creatives who we interview. So is there any email, if we may, where our creatives can apply or reach out to you guys to possibly join the team or even intern and get some experience with you guys? Of course, um, that would, the best would be info, I-N-F-O at Tejesta.com. That's T-E-J-E-S-T-A.com. We're looking for, new team members to work at the office, work in the warehouse. Um, We're looking for assistance. We're looking for kind of anyone that wants to get involved with what we're doing and uh, continue to build the brand to what it's going to be in the future. Huge opportunity here for everybody back home and obviously many different positions that you guys can explore and learn from John as well. So 
I would definitely be running to do that myself. And I think it's a very interesting brand that has so much potential still to grow. You guys are just starting and it's impressive what you've already done. So John, thank you for being here with me today, for thank accepting you. my invitation. It really meant the world to me. Of course. I enjoyed this chat so much and I'm sure everybody back home did too. Your story is truly inspirational and thank you for sharing not only the ins and outs of this industry, which are so curious and so interesting to hear about, but also about your amazing trajectory. Uh, it meant the world to me. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> thank so much. Thank you so much. And Creative Beings, thank you so much for joining us today. I cannot wait to see you guys once again in our next interview right here at the MV Series. <laughs>